Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Beats Research Radio, a podcast and YouTube channel dedicated to bringing our community closer to research in science and engineering fields. My name is Hannah, a student from the TMM program at UOttawa, and I'll be your host on today's special podcast episode for the Science Communication TMM 4950 course. Today, I will be interviewing Dr. Adam Rudner, who has completed his PhD at the University of California in San Francisco and his postdoc at Harvard University. He is currently an associate professor and principal investigator at the University of Ottawa, a member of the C. Phages and C. Genes programs, and the coordinator of U Ottawa Phage Hunters. We are honored to welcome you on to Beats Research Radio today. To start off, can you share with us your recent research focuses and your ongoing projects in the laboratory? Great. Uh, thanks, Hannah. And thanks to all four of you for inviting me uh, to talk about my work. And so my focuses are still sort of quite broad. And the sort of long-term goal of most phage labs, and including my lab, would be you know, the goal of being able to use bacteriophages as antimicrobials. And in order to use bacteriophages as antimicrobials, there's like a lot of things that we need to learn before we can do that. And so the sort of more specific focuses of my lab will be sort of promoting undergraduate research through these courses. Um, and that research really focuses on understanding phage diversity and just understanding all the different types of phages that are out there. And then once we have all these phages, we, you know, the thing to know about bacteriophages is that over 50% of the genes in, in most bacteriophages have unknown function. And so a huge focus is, you know, what do all these new proteins do? Thank you so much for sharing the main research focuses and projects in your lab. Um, so you spoke about the investigation of bacteriophages. For those who may not know or aren't super familiar with the field, what are the more specific roles of bacteriophages and how do they actually function in treating these bacterial infections? So bacteriophages are viruses that infect bacteria. And so they're very similar to human viruses that infect us, but there are lots of different bacteria out there. And each bacteria has its own set of bacteriophages. So the, the diversity of bacteriophages is really larger than the diversity of all other life on, on the planet. So that's the sort of what they do. And so they infect bacteria, they inject their DNA into bacteria, and then they rep replicate and take over the machinery of the bacteria, and then eventually will lyse the bacteria. And so these bacteriophages will specifically kill uh, a bacteria. As bacteria becomes resistant to antibiotics, the range of effective treatments for bacterial infection decreases. This obviously makes it more difficult to successfully combat infections. Uh, that being said, what do you think are some advantages of bacteriophage therapy over traditional antibiotics in the context of antibiotic resistance? Uh, I mean, the, the other, I mean, I think probably the primary advantage is, so most antibiotics kill all the bacteria in your body. And, and that, that can be a huge problem and sort of also your physiology. Um, and there's a lot of evidence that the microbiome has all these other impacts on your health as well. And so sometimes antibiotics could actually make things worse potentially by, by damaging sort of cells, the bacterial cells within your body that you want to keep around. Um, bacteriophages, you know, would pose the same risk, but because they're much more specific, um, I think that's one of the huge advantages um, is advantage and disadvantage, which is that they, they're so specific that if you can find the right bacteriophages, you can specifically target, you know, whatever the infectious bacteria is. Obviously, the disadvantage is you need to find the bacteriophage that can actually kill that infection. 
Um, you mentioned that um, one of the disadvantages to bacteriophage therapy is the fact that phages can be very selective to the type of bacterial infection that an individual has. Does this have to do with some challenges of research related to phages or limitations associated with phage therapy? If so, are you able to elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, for sure. The first big challenge is just understanding the complexities of phage biology. Um, as I mentioned before, there's this incredible diversity in the genome sequences, and often more than half of the phage genes have unknown function. So, you know, understanding all those functions will help us understand what, you know, the phage is capable of and, you know, in when, when used as an antimicrobial. Another challenge is one of the things I'm interested in, which is sort of understanding how phages fight bacterial immunity. So we know that bacteria have many, many different immune systems that are, have been evolved, you know, over millions of years to combat bacteriophages. And so understanding you know, all the different immune mechanisms within the bacteria, but then also the way in which the phage gets around those immune mechanisms. Similarly, the host range problem, you know, it's the same, same issue. Could we predict the phage that will infect a particular host? You know, because that one of the real slow parts, and this is really the, the main problem with bacteriophage therapy, is sort of the scalability of it. Because the main problem is, you know, finding the phage, that will work against a particular bacteria and then making enough of it to actually treat the patient. That's so interesting. I want to elaborate a little bit more on the engineered um, bacteriophages, as you mentioned, and how um, we're starting to see clinical cases come out where they're actually engineering phages in order to treat patients. Um, in a recent paper titled Engineered Bacteriophages for Treatment of a Patient with a Disseminated Drug-Resistant Mycobacterium Obsessus, the authors discussed the case of a 15-year-old cystic fibrosis patient who was infected with Mycobacterium Obsessus. After undergoing a bilateral lung transplantation, she was treated with a three-phage cocktails that efficiently killed the infectious M. obsessus strain. The phages responsible for this were developed by genome engineering and improved the patient's liver function, clearance of infected skin nodules, and wound closure. Knowing this, what do you think were the primary motivators for using bacteriophages as a treatment option for this cystic fibrosis patient over other treatments? Yeah, so I... It's an amazing story. So the patient is Isabel Holdaway. Um, and so she was a young woman who, as you said, who had cystic fibrosis. Um, and her, you know, she had this systemic M. obsessus infection. And basically the doctors had run out of options for her treatment. And they were lucky to able that they could find phages that would infect her bacteria. And, you know, was, and they were able to get emergency authorization to treat her. And it's sort of amazing when you look at the numbers of antibiotics that she had been taking after she got her lung transplant. And, you know, once she had the phage therapy, she was really largely able to clear the infection, as you said, and restart her life. You know, I suggested that we talk about this paper, both because, you know, used engineered phages, but also because one of the phages that Isabel was treated with is phage Zoe J., which was found at Providence College in Rhode Island by Kathleen Cornelly and her undergraduate students as part of a CFH class. And so it's a you know, really amazing success story for the power of undergraduate research and the value of the CFH program that you know, we can actually find things that help, help patients. Um, I do have a follow-up question about this. Um, so why is it that they weren't able to use the bacteriophage directly? And why did they have to um, go through the engineering process to alter the phage yeah. in order to effectively treat um, the patient? 
For sure. Yeah, no, I, I forgot to mention about the engineering, which is, uh, so only one of the phages was engineered, and that was actually Zoe J. And the engineering that they had done was Zoe J is a temperate phage, um, which is a phage that can exist in two life cycles, either this lytic life cycle where it will kill and lyse the cells, or a life cycle where it inserts into the bacterial genome and then can sort of propagate within the genome. And so for phage therapy, the thinking is you don't really ever want to use a temperate phage because there's a concern that if you inserted the phage into the, the bacteria that's causing the infection, you could then not treat it with the same phage because one of the properties of these uh, lysogenic um, phages where the phage inserts into the genome is that it provides immunity against reinfection by the same phage. And so what Kathleen had done, and I think she actually had done this before it was used um, uh, in Isabel, was just deleted this one gene, it's gene 45 in Zoe J, which is the immunity repressor in Zoe J, which is one of the critical, it really is the critical component that's needed for this uh, lysogenic lifestyle. And so without gene 45, Zoe J becomes like a purely lytic phage and is thought to be more effective for phage therapy. Um, and the reason why they were actually able to get approval um, to use the engineered phage was because it was a made as a clean deletion. So they all they did was remove the gene and then sort of join the two ends. They didn't replace the gene with something. And because of that, the sort of, you know, in the UK, there's a the, the laws around using GMOs are incredibly strict. And so for some reason, this phage, because it only had something removed and not added, meant it didn't classify as a GMO. And so they were able to actually use it, even though it was genetically modified, nothing, nothing had been added that was not part of the phage. That's super interesting. And it's so cool to see how the fields of both science and engineering really combine well and complement um, the treatment of this patient and in a personalized medicine approach. I also wanted to discuss with you a little bit more about the CFHS program and how it was um, really a highlight of this paper and in, in the treatment of the patient. Um, so being a member of the CFHS program yourself, what does this program offer and what can undergraduate students participating in this program expect to gain from their involvement? How will their experience contribute to their education and future careers if their interests are within the scientific field? Yeah, I think the CFHS program to me seems like a, an amazing lab course for undergraduates for several reasons. One is there's a real goal and within the project. And so it's really is authentic research. And we try to create an environment in the teaching lab where it really can feel like a, a real lab where people are doing different things. People are getting advice from different people. People are moving at their own pace. And I really like that the way the course is organized, there's lots of room for students to fail and learn from their mistakes. And there's also room for them to explore deeper if they want to in, in other aspects of phage biology. Um, and then also room to be more independent if, if they feel up to being more independent. You know, my hope is that some of those lessons will apply to the other research that students do, you know, beyond phages, you know, that it's, it's not just about working on phages, so. Drawing upon your extensive national and international experience, what advice would you give to an undergraduate student starting their research journey? Um, I, think, I think I have three main pieces of advice. Um, the first is that you sort of try to learn and figure out if you actually enjoy doing research. 
like, are you okay with delayed gratification and a lot of repetition and a lot of failure? Um, and if you're okay with all that and you can still experience the joy of discovery when you when something does work, then that could suggest that you know, research will work out for you. Um, the second piece of advice would be to make sure that the lab environment uh, works for you. Um, I think having a supportive mentor, both in older students and technicians in the lab, as well as from the, the principal investigator of the lab, is you know, really critical. And you know, enjoying where you work and being supported by your community of other scientists is really critical for both your well-being and your success. And then finally, you know, it's really, in a way, it's like the final thing, especially when you're at the start of your career, is to find a topic that interests you. But I don't really think you need to be wedded to it at your stage um, because you guys are all just beginning and there's like so much interesting science out there that you might decide, you know, I really love doing research and I sort of have an idea of the lab environment that I want to be in, but like I could try all these different types of research and maybe many of them could work out for me. Thank you so much, Dr. Rudner, for providing such insightful tips for a budding researcher like myself. I'm sure this will help a lot of future researchers and current researchers listening to the podcast today. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. This episode was produced by Madison Melito, written by Katarina Kovacina, audio produced by Nazia Hassan, and hosted by myself, Hannah Diel. All copyrights reserved to Beats Research Radio and the University of Ottawa. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Adam Rudner. Thank you. It's okay. great. It's great talking.